Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hello, Feisties. Welcome to the Women's Performance Podcast, and thank you for listening. I am thrilled to introduce today's guest, Dr. Emily Jevons, who has a PhD in exercise physiology and nutrition. Emily and I were talking before the show, and she I first met her, she actually took a photo for us uh, it, at the Ironman World Championships in 2022. We were interviewing six-time champion Daniela Reef, and we wanted a picture of our whole team with Daniela. And Emily was standing by watching the interview and kindly took the photo for us. And then she reached out when we launched, when we first launched our online course, Fueled, And here we are today recording a podcast. As I was planning for this episode, I realized I really wanted to ask Emily about protein intake. Protein for me has been one of the most confusing parts of sports nutrition in recent years. How much do we need? When do we need it? Should we adjust our recovery drink or snack for strength training versus endurance training? And do women really need more protein at certain times of the month? I had a lot of questions. So coming out of this conversation, I feel a lot more settled about how to get enough protein in my diet without needing to take any extra time to weigh chicken breasts or read every label. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Emily, hi. It's it's morning here, but good afternoon to you. How are you? Good afternoon here. I'm good, thank you. Very, very cold here. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, it's happening. It's actually fall, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, okay, I'm so excited to talk to you today. I think, you know, we've had a few other dietitians um, and nutritionists on, but you have a very unique perspective with your PhD in exercise physiology and nutrition and some of the projects that you work on. But wh- where did your interest in nutrition first start? I, I feel like nutritionists always have an interesting story. Well, that is the interesting question. And to mm-hmm. be honest, I I wish it had come sooner. I wish I knew it was a career option when I was younger than I did. Like, I wish I'd studied it directly at university. I still did, but I kind of went a bit of a different path. Um, Originally, I wanted to do something in sport, like most girls who've done some kind of sport, but I didn't want to be a PE teacher or coach. So I did sports science. And I remember in a first year lecture, there was um, 
one of the lecturers, uh, Professor Graham Close, he took a session on carbohydrates. And I was like, wow, that was so interesting. Mm. Like, instead of wanting to go out drinking, I was like all in on the nutrition content. And I'm not gonna lie, I was rubbish at it, like on paper. I was really interested, went to all my lectures, was like proper keen, but uh, I just really didn't get the grades, but it really did spark that interest. But then I worked really hard and I spent, long story short, is I spent a lot of time working with academics to try and get the academic side down. And then, yeah, somehow I ended up going into doing a PhD in exercise physiology and nutrition. So I definitely turned it around, but it yeah. was just <laughs> wow. that one lecture really like sparked yeah. that. I wish I'd known about it when I was even younger, though, because I probably would have studied dietetics or nutrition like first of all rather than sports science at the same time I appreciate where it got me and uh yeah it was a interesting journey long journey seven years <laughs> to get there in the end yeah do you remember what it was specifically that you learned about carbohydrates that made you think oh wow I want to learn more to be honest it was quite a while ago now so I can't even remember what the penny drop moment was but I remember it the, the lecturer he was so enthusiastic and engaging and maybe that's like influence like I'm a lecturer as well myself now so maybe that's influenced part of my career path because I would love to have that effect on someone myself when when I teach I'd love for the, the, that penny drop moment going wow I want to do that so yeah <laughs> yeah and topic and teacher <laughs> okay so what's and what sports did you play as a kid so I was a swimmer growing up and mm-hmm. then typically being a 15, 16 year old girl, I didn't want to have soaking wet hair and not wear any makeup to school anymore. So <laughs> I, I quit then, um, but I got back into it after my PhD, I started triathlon and mm-hmm. yeah, it turns out it's really helpful to have a swimming background. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, um, so I took to triathlon quite well. Nice. Amazing. Um, okay. And, you know, you've been studying, I, I do think it's very interesting, that combination between exercise, physiology and nutrition. What are some of the, what, what did you do for your dissertation? So do you want the fancy title first and then the English? Oh, title? sure. Give us the fancy yeah. title. Uh, fancy title is the quantification of substrate metabolism in endurance athletes using microscopy techniques. And essentially that means I was looking at how endurance athletes use carbohydrate and fat under a microscope for a few years Uh, I looked at muscle biopsies it's really interesting but I spent a lot of time one-on-one with microscopes (laughs) to be honest it was a time I look back on when I listened to a lot of podcasts um, then Wow. And so does that mean, okay, when I'm thinking about carbohydrate, I mean, I I really want to talk about protein today, as you know, which is, which is kind of funny. Um, but um, with carbohydrates and fat, are you looking at percentages of carbs and fat that people are using when they're doing endurance sport? Is that kind of the general gist? Yeah, essentially. I was looking on quite a cellular level, so I won't bore too much with the, the in-depth detail, but we use mm-hmm. like carbohydrate from specific regions of our cells. It's not just one glycogen pool we store in like on the outside of the cell or the middle of the cell and I was kind Mm. of trying to apply that where are we using it from and the end goal is still being developed like I wouldn't say I found all the answers because whoever does in a PhD (laughs) Um, but I got some more future research questions and I did enjoy it but yeah definitely a lot of time on a microscope that's for sure (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah sounds like it um and I do want like I said I do want to talk about protein today because I think that a lot of us get even I'm confused you know after 15 years as a pro athlete and 
um, putting together a course on fueling and, you know, now even in my own life, I'm still struggling to figure out how to get enough protein in based on the requirements that we're told that we need. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of unpack all of this for everyone. Cause I figure if I'm confused, then other people, people must be confused. <laughs> Um, but as athletes, or even just me now as a I'm more of a regular active person now, if you will, like one to two hours of exercise a day. Um, still very active. <laughs> it's still, yeah, it's still it's still pretty active, but it's not like a 30-hour training week, like in, <laughs> like when I was a triathlete. Uh, and so we're told that we need quite a lot of um protein. And then when you look at the numbers and you break it down per grams per your body weight, it ends up feeling like a hell of a lot. <laughs> so do we need a lot of protein? Um, and, and why do we need it? Well, I guess the, it depends what you mean by a lot. Like I have, yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the num number values, but it depends. Some people might not class it as a lot and some people would, but to start with why we actually need protein is because, well, essentially every single cell in our body is actually like at least partly made from proteins. And there's so many other roles than just muscle building. Like that's the one that everyone thinks probably arguably protein's most famous role uh, is building, repairing muscles, but it also helps with metabolic reactions. It helps transport different nutrients. It helps form antibodies. So our immune system, mm. maintain fluid balance, and it can be used for energy though, not preferable. We're much better using our carbohydrate and fat stores. So it's pretty impressive really when you put it like that, like it has so much more to do with our body than just repairing muscle tissue. So obviously we need a lot when we're exercising to help us repair our muscles, but all of these other roles are trying to go on as well. So we have to think about the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's essential. There's a reason it's a macronutrient. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting because do you, do you know how our bodies will prioritize? So if we're not eating enough, if we're exercising, if we're mm -hmm. doing endurance sport or CrossFit or something else, and we're not eating enough protein. Will our bodies prioritize one thing over the other? Like, will it prioritize muscle recovery over some of the other um, protein needs? Of, or do you, do we know that? I don't, I don't know personally if we know that or not. I mean, mm. if someone does know that, they can get in contact with us and let us know afterwards. But I know in general, if your energy levels are like, or you're under fueling, essentially, we won't get into reds today. That's a whole other topic, isn't mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. um, if you are under fueling, your body actually will prioritize fueling the exercise, but that's why you end up with health implications because all these other roles aren't supported. So I don't know if there's a hierarchy on which which roles are affected in which order, but under fueling will essentially, like your body will try and compensate for exercise, but it will affect your health um, as a consequence. Yeah. So let's talk about endurance athletes for a minute. Um, how much protein do endurance athletes need, do you think? And does it matter how much we're training? Does it does the scale slide? The golden question. Well, yeah. <laughs> first of all, let's think about the general population. I mean, okay. I know the UK Good. guidelines, but I think it's pretty similar across the world, especially in the US as well, is like about 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. That is what most people are meant to consume. Whether they do or not is a good question. <laughs> um, but if you're an endurance athlete, it tends to be 1.2 to 1.4 grams per kilogram body weight. But it might be a bit higher if 
they're doing really prolonged or high intensity endurance exercise. So more along your Ironman like training block, you might want to increase that a little bit further. Or if you're training in a low carbohydrate state as well, that might cause more muscle damage. So you're going to need to increase your carb uh, carbohydrate, your protein as a consequence. For building and maintaining muscle mass, so more of your strength-based athletes, mm -hmm. it tends to sit around 1.3 to 1.7 grams per Interesting. kilogram. Interesting. That is a lot. Sorry. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit more. But so, for example, if you weighed 70 kilograms and mm -hmm. you're doing lots of strength training, you'd need like 91 to about 119 to 120-ish, I think, if I'm trying to do the maths. <laughs> yeah. Protein, um, which sounds like a lot, but over a day, it, it can be doable. And especially if you want those strength goals, it's important to think about. Yeah. Can you break that down a little bit for us? Because I know sometimes the numbers just kind of, especially if we're used to, like we are here in Canada and the US to counting our body weight in pounds, for example. And so suddenly it's like, there's calculations on calculations. Um, but what does it look like, first of all, for those, like, let's just stick with those three demographics, like the general the general person, the endurance athlete, and then the strength or CrossFit athlete, what is, what is their protein intake actually look like in terms of like a chicken breast at lunch and, you know, eggs at breakfast? How do we, how can we conceptualize it? Well, again, that will one depend on if they're actually meeting these goals as well. So it's, it's a massive one, but <laughs> if you're a strength or endurance athlete, mm -hmm. trying to have protein at every meal is a good way of trying to reach these goals. Because if you are prioritizing protein, say at breakfast, where a lot of the time, typically people's diets are very carbohydrate heavy, you're already going to be ahead for the rest of the day. So instead of thinking it as one big number of, well, I said 90 to 120 for 70 kilograms there of strength training dinner. Sorry, I don't know the pound conversion of myself. <laughs> um, but say there after that, if you're already getting 30 to 40 grams in your breakfast that's already going to be like a, a big big bulk so if you had eggs with I don't know some seeds on toast with something else uh, maybe some avocado some healthy fats probably one of my favorite breakfasts to be honest you're already going to be top starting your day with a load of protein right. so for, for your lunch depending on your habits but you might have some chicken or something or or tofu if you're vegetarian or vegan and then your dinner everyone well no one really struggles to get protein at dinner normally from a typical stereotypical eating habits mm -hmm. um, but then having sometimes you might want to have a high protein snack as well so this is why your mm. protein bars come in and um, sometimes people have protein shakes we'll probably come back on to supplements maybe later on on yeah. whether necessary um we can revisit that shortly um so there are lots of different ways to increase your protein intake but importance is just trying to spread it throughout the day so it doesn't feel as overwhelming and consciously making an effort to eat foods that you know are protein sources so even beans beans on toast for your breakfast you know i mean you can really jazz that up if you go on um i've got a really good recipe to make beans on toast the most extra thing you've ever tasted <laughs> <laughs> and you'll never see beans on toast the same again i promise you <laughs> so consciously picking foods that you know are protein sources is the, the first step and then you can right. start to quantify it mm -hmm. i think a lot of people do get overly obsessed with yeah. the numbers sometimes as well mm -hmm. and remember that day to day your needs will change if you've not had a really hard training day then you might not need as much protein um but in if you have a really hard training day just 
make sure you're thinking about that in advance. Don't think just after the session, you should have been thinking about it before as well. (laughs) Right. I do. Mm -hmm. I really like that as a first step. So instead of, you know, having to convert the numbers and pounds and grams and kilograms to just say, okay, to look at your meals and go, okay, how am I getting protein from all of these meals and even snacks? Right. And if you can increase that a little bit, then you're probably going to have a positive effect. Exactly. And although as a scientist and the numbers Mm -hmm. are really, really important, um, I, used to work for the Indisorder charity for the UK it's called Beat and Mm. because of this this is why I kind of move away from the numbers a little bit and look at what we can actually do as a individual so we're not becoming obsessed with numbers because it can have a negative effect on our mentality around food so yeah that's probably where my approach comes from um (laughs) right and even as as for myself as someone who you know training and racing used to be my job and it's not anymore so it's probably you know number five on my list in terms of priorities like my my family my you know my current job there's lots of things that come ahead of um training and recovering right so i actually want that process to be simple even though i do want to improve and make sure i'm i'm fueling myself properly which obviously has a knock-on effect for life i still want it to be simple you know so in that case just make sure you're trying to have protein with every meal don't focus on the numbers and just have I got a protein source in this meal yes or no that's a good way of looking at it. that's your starting point Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein, like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. 
Hedas unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedas have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedas has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedas at Hedas.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedas.com and it will all be in the show notes. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% mulberry silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. Yeah, and then let's talk about right after exercise, because this is where I feel like in recent years, there's been some, I've heard contradictory things from people, right? So I know when I was, you know, a decade ago, it used to be 
um, you know, get your in endurance training, get carbohydrates in right away. That's a huge priority. And then within, as long as you get some protein within two hours, uh, then I've also heard that getting some protein right after in that 15 minute window, right after exercise and along with your carbohydrates, this can be good because it can help, um, reduce the sort of cortisol effect, um, of what, you know, of the training itself. Um, and then you hear things about, you know, women should have protein right after exercise more like, or they need it more than men do. So what are your recommendations for, um, recovery after for protein wise after an endurance session or after a strength session? Okay. So yeah, there's so many things that have been thrown around. I know. I just, I just <laughs> threw you. I yeah. throw a bunch of stuff. No. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you've probably heard so many different timings on the optimal time to eat protein. Some people it's 15 minutes after it's 30 minutes. Sometimes it's an hour, it's 24 hours. And then this carbohydrate comes onto it. It's like, Oh, this almost can be a little bit overwhelming, can't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in an ideal world, we should try and consume some protein after exercise when it's available to us. So if that's straight away and you can then go for it, but it doesn't mean it's pointless consuming it an hour later. Um, there's been some research that's actually shown that the anabolic window, so our muscle building window, especially after strength training, can last for 24 hours. So it would be beneficial for you to consume protein throughout the day, not just post-exercise, because that muscle building process is going to continue over 24 hours. So you need to still be continuing to eat, which again comes back to what we were saying of have protein every meal. But do prioritize consuming regular amounts of protein evenly throughout the day but also if you are exercising if you can get something in then that'd be great this is where i'd say your supplements can come in handy because let's be fair if you've done a really hard session you can feel a bit sick afterwards no one wants to eat a full meal or sit down Mm -hmm. full chicken breast or something similar yeah that's where sometimes supplements can come in handy because if you're not ready to have a full meal um having a protein shake could help but remember they are designed to supplement your diet so they should be in replace of that's the that's the key word they're called supplements for a reason and if you can have food straight afterwards then maybe go for that like food first is a great approach to have but i appreciate that a lot of us feel way too sick after exercise to eat or we don't have the appetite to mm-hmm carbohydrates come into this as well we obviously want to replenish glycogen stores unless you're on a specifically supervised um low carbohydrate training program you might be following some people are but if you're not then you want to replenish those glycogen stores as well and consuming these together can be really beneficial you know you're not going to damage your muscle building capabilities if you're consuming carbohydrate it doesn't work like that we want to replenish and look after our bodies um a lot of I can imagine a lot of the listeners do quite a lot of training and therefore it is important to just have them both and also hydrate, make sure you hydrate and forgets about hydration post-exercise. We do not just during. <laughs> right. Totally. Um, I'm thinking about, I'm also thinking about percentages of carbohydrates versus protein in that post. Like, so let's say I'm taking a, a supplement drink because a lot of protein powders just come as pure protein. Yes, yeah, so right. it depends so they, on the brand. I, I I don't know. Am I allowed to name specific brands or not? I don't know if it comes across as a <laughs> I know a specific brand. Um, their recovery drink is designed more for endurance athletes, and that is both carbohydrate and protein for that reason. Right. Um, I guess it depends on the specific company you're looking at and their target audience. Um, because yeah. you can have ones that have 
carbohydrate in as well for that reason. Um, but percentage-wise, I don't know the exact percentages or if there is any, you know, golden numbers, but just trying to get a source of both. I mean, if you have a protein bar that's actually made of food, then mm. it <laughs> contain carbohydrates as well anyway. Um, you know, instead of just your protein shake, which might be protein um, heavy rather than both. Mm-hmm. And is there a difference between, because now, you know, sometimes, and I know a lot of people listening will do pure strength training. Like they might have a session that's just in the gym, right? Mm-hmm. Should that, whatever they're drinking or eating immediately after that session, should it look different to what they might drink or eat after a run or a bike? Yeah, I'd say, although you still want to, prioritize recovery of your glycogen stores post strength training it's more important for after your endurance training because you're going to be a lot more carbohydrate heavy it's like the protein recommendations that I mentioned before it is a little bit higher for strength training so you are going to kind of side more on the protein for post strength training and then the endurance should be both protein and carbohydrates a bit more important to consider them both hopefully that makes sense anyway (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah it totally does and then does that remain true throughout the day through our meals so if we're doing more strength training based on what you said earlier about the grams you know per body weight it seems to me to make more sense that you would do you would have more protein in your meals if you were a strength-based athlete yeah most well it depends on the level of training you're doing but yeah (laughs) Mm-hmm. And what about vegans? Let's talk about vegans. And again, this <laughs> this is something I've had. Um, I've heard answers all over the map. You know, you hear people who say, oh, it's almost impossible to get enough protein in if you're a vegan. You have other people who say, no, um, I recover better and um, it's it's much better. You know, I feel much better. So how do we get enough? How do vegans get enough protein in and do they really have to worry it's possible. It is. You can be an athlete who is vegan. We know lots of plant-based athletes that are really successful. And I think those who say it's not possible um, are really behind the times. I mean, personally, I'm not vegan myself. I'm um, lactose intolerant though. So I kind of eat a lot of vegan foods, especially when I'm out because I know it's safe and I know mm-hmm. I can eat it. Um, so although I'm not, I do um, have quite a lot of vegan food anyway. So they can get you can get enough protein to recover on a plant-based diet. But in general, they are lower in protein than omnivorous diets. But again, it doesn't mean that these protein requirements aren't attainable and they can't be met. But forward planning is usually needed a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But most research has shown that as long as a variety of plant-based sources are being consumed and your energy requirements are being met, most athletes are able to meet these additional demands. So this this lower anabolic effect that you have from plant-based uh, protein can be overcome if you're consuming large amounts of it. Again, eating a variety uh, to ensure we get a range of different amino acids and including pr- plant proteins that are rich in leucine, in, in particular, one of your essential amino acids that you need from your diet. So like tofu, lentils, beans, nuts and seeds are all quite high in it. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's one of the, the key drivers of muscle building, let's say. <laughs> Right. And so do you think that vegans or vegetarians even need a supplement, protein supplement? It depends on their their lifestyle and whether they're hungry or not afterwards. I'd say it's the same rules apply um, to what I was just saying about consuming protein after exercise, regardless 
on your dietary requirement, let's say, you still might feel sick after exercise and, and not want to eat a massive bowl of uh, tofu. <laughs> right. So that's where a protein shake still might come in handy. And there are quite good ones nowadays. I've noticed there's quite a, mm. a good range. I mean, that's really developed in the last few years, hasn't it? I mean, again, I follow, I use plant-based protein powder because being mm. lactose intolerant, I don't have whey protein. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's great. There's so many different ones out there now, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. I, I also, I kind of react to whey and I don't know if I'm intolerant to dairy in some way. I'm, I'm also celiac. So some, in some ways I don't want to know, but I just kind of avoid it um, <laughs> to take on board, isn't it? It is. It's like, I don't want to know. I'll just still have cheese occasionally. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but, but um, yeah, I also use a vegan protein powder and you're right. It's been much easier to get a quality vegan protein. Just, I can just buy it at the supermarket now, which is amazing compared to so 10 much years better. ago. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tafosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tafosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat. So they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tafosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. 
So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. Yeah. And let's talk about an ideal, I mean, speaking of kind of sources of protein, you've mentioned a lot of different foods. Um, I, one time in one of our, during a fueled course, during one of the cohorts, um, I asked our expert, uh, our dietitian expert, whether that, how, how I could get more protein in my diet. And she asked me to list off a day, a day of what I was eating. Um, and essentially she's like, yeah, bacon and charcuterie, <laughs> some of the things that I was taking in, she's like, you might be satiating yourself a little bit with fat and not, and therefore not able to shift to more protein, um, which I thought was quite funny, but what are some of the best protein sources we could, um, take in to help us recover? Ooh, I mean, it's a good question really, because I think a lot of it comes to people's preferences, but the best are- the best ones are just high quality. And by what I mean by high quality protein sources is the amino acid profile. So we want a lot of the essential amino acids that our bodies can't create. Mm-hmm. And different foods are rich in these. So like milk and eggs are quite high in essential amino acids, which are great. So they'd class as high quality mm-hmm. proteins. But also the ones I mentioned that are really high in leucine um, are also really helpful. So like your nuts, your seeds, your beans, um, I wouldn't say there's a golden piece of protein because, again, some people might need a bit more fat in their diet if they're lacking it in other areas. I mean, you right. can get like, really lean chicken breast, can't you? Or you can get chicken thighs with a little bit more fat. It's uh, people's personal preferences. But, yeah, it's it's about the amino acid content, really. That's what classes it as a quality diet, uh, high-quality protein even. And in relation to feeling full, like you just mentioned, you might be uh, feeling a little bit more full from um, like fat sources protein is actually more filling than carbohydrate and fats anyway so if you're increasing your protein intake in theory according to the science you should feel fuller throughout the day because you're more related and it actually takes longer for your body to break break it down so we have what's called the thermic effect of food have you heard of that before Mm, yes Mm -hmm. yeah so uh, protein actually takes more of our energy to break it down so it has a higher thermic effect of food that's what we call it so it takes longer than carbohydrates and fats which is why we feel fuller for longer because it takes more energy up. <laughs> yeah no that makes a lot of sense I think that's great I think we've come up with a, a number of things that people could just act on right away yeah you know? I think the protein intake throughout the day is probably one of the key things that I want to drill down just because it it's it's really simple to actually do without focusing too much on the numbers but like some researchers from, I think it was the University of Texas, I can't remember the exact reference off the top of my head, but they found by distributing 30 grams of protein at breakfast, lunch and dinner, so really equal amounts throughout the day, they had, I think it was 25% greater muscle protein synthesis, which is a fancy word. That's a lot. The muscle building in comparison to a meal pattern where they had most of their protein at dinner with really small amounts of breakfast and lunch. So it's right. like that 
timing throughout the day is probably the key thing I want people to take away from this. And yeah, don't get too obsessive on the numbers. The numbers are there and the science is there. But if you can prioritize consuming a bit more protein with every single meal instead of yeah. being like being heavy, it will make a huge difference. Yeah. Did you say 25% better muscle synthesis? Did you, did yeah. you hear that right? Yeah. yeah that is and, a lot. I'll try and find you the exact reference and email it because then you yeah. can add it the, the notes or something right. <laughs> of your of your study uh, st- podcast even sorry yeah I mean all of that that's a lot for just sort of swapping out an omelet for your breakfast cereal or you know whatever that looks like you that's it and in general we should always try and consume foods that we can make ourselves as well it's always just general general nutrition better for health than we can mm-hmm. um oh one last question I wanted to ask is about um women's hormones and protein Mind are there <laughs> <laughs> right exactly just a, just a small question to toss out um <laughs> is there a certain are there certain times a month we should be eating more protein so in theory yes yes okay. there is in theory um but just before we go into that it's interesting because there's actually a research article that's been released it was in 2022 so last year which was like a quite a good systematic review that looked at fuel in the female athlete carbohydrate and protein considerations I think it was more more et al um like m double ore um from 2022 and they actually specifically state 1.2 to 1.5 grams per kilogram of body weight in four four to five meals a day uh, uh, would be best for females so like almost like more spread out so although the actual 1.2 to 1.5, that boring number, is not too dissimilar, but they're saying more like four to five meals would be quite useful. So that would be where you'd have it more in your snacks. And maybe that would seem a little bit less overwhelming than three big amounts. I don't know. Yeah. Um, interesting study anyway. Again, I'll, I'll link you that one so you can put it in the, the notes or, or whatever for people who are interested. Yeah. But in relation to our hormones, um, yeah, it's a bit of a minefield. And I think... There's a lot of researchers and scientists, it seems to be almost like two sides of mm. period is like it really affects our training and everything is affected by it. And then the others are like, actually, hang on. No, everyone's been performing fine for years, no matter where they are. And I guess it's where people sit on that fence. I'm kind of more to the side of people can perform. And that's what we're being told, although there's effects on there is effects on metabolism and there is effects on appetite, which I'll come on to in a second, but people can still perform. If you look at the actual data, they're still hitting their PBs. Like Paula yeah. Radcliffe set like a world record famously whilst on, on a period mm-hmm. <laughs> back in the day. So I think the, the hormones are a minefield, but make sure if anyone's interested in that, they, they read a lot because there's so many mixed opinions and I wouldn't say it's a right or wrong. It just depends who you're listening to. I'm not mm-hmm. going to name Games. Um, mm-hmm. but definitely the research is saying that we can still perform it's more of a perceived effect on how we feel so it's more about trying to optimize how we feel now coming back to the protein side of it should we be eating more protein at different times of the month in theory yes this is because with the luteal phase so the second half of your cycle your progesterone levels are quite high that's where it shoots up and progesterone is a catabolic hormone. And by this, I mean it it prioritizes like, well, I wouldn't say prioritizes, encourages uh, muscle breakdown rather than muscle building. Mm. Estrogen is the opposite. Estrogen is an anabolic hormone and encourages muscle growth. And that's more in the first half of your cycle. Mm-hmm. But 
our bodies are really, really clever. And we do have little compensatory mechanisms that kind of can make up for this. So, for example, during our luteal phase, when our progesterone is higher, our appetite actually tends to increase because we have increased hunger from our increased metabolic rate. This means we're eating more. So we're more, we're actually quite likely to just be eating more protein as a consequence because we're eating more in general. Yeah. So, you know, it might not be needed depending on what you're eating, but be, be mindful of it. Make sure you're consuming protein in that phase. But again, your body, as I said, your body's really clever. So it's causing these other things to make you go, oh, I need more food because you, you want more protein. So yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love the body's really clever. And I think that sometimes we've been almost culturally encouraged to stop listening to our body's cues, in particular around hunger and things like that, because of diet culture and, you know, the way that being skinny, quote unquote, has been in unvogue for so long, you know, and we're really, I think we're kind of coming out of that very harmful phase for women. Um, but that sometimes we're left not trusting ourselves, our bodies, our hunger cues and things like that. So actually, I think that even just knowing that information, like knowing that, yes, like hormonally, we probably do need more protein or more fuel in general in the second half of our cycle in the luteal phase. And then like you're getting a cue that you're a little hungrier, you find you're eating a little more just to be able to go, okay, now I understand why. And, you know, and I'm going to just listen to that, um, to that clever cue for my body. Yeah, right? exactly. It's the human body is fascinating. Like it really is. I find it so interesting. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how I, I, I see what we should be doing with the menstrual cycle anyway, listening to your body and just keep it in mind, learn about mm -hmm. it. So be mindful. Mm -hmm. Yes, I might need more protein or in this phase. So maybe I should be prioritizing it in my diet a little bit more because I forgot about it before that's fine it's but yeah making a note of it yeah yeah looking for trends you know tracking our cycles a little bit figuring out what we need you know I think that's really um like you said we're still we're kind of at the beginning of the research around how much that our cycle does actually affect us day to day and, and our training so until until while well, the scientists sort it out I'll leave that to you yeah, <laughs> to figure that out there's definitely like two teams at the moment yeah <laughs> so, oh I know there's definitely two teams of people of yes it has a massive effect and actually people are still doing really really well regardless so <laughs> yeah well and I understand why I understand both of those sides sometimes I wonder if it's not more related to how the individual actually experiences her own that, cycle perfect no that is it that's exactly it it's so much down to individualization but mm -hmm. some people might benefit from changing their nutrition or their training around their menstrual cycle but other people really won't they won't notice any different it's and that's fine so yeah I think yeah that you're completely right there I mean I personally I don't I'm I feel quite lucky I don't notice any effect I just crack on <laughs> and, and there we go so I think it varies it's interesting. Yeah. I used to notice a quite big effect right before my period, like a, that, that slump, you know, and I do wonder now, especially like looking back to when I was training as a, as a professional athlete, like, would I have benefited maybe even just from something simple, like eating more, like we just talked about during that phase, or was there something that just, I could have tweaked a little bit, not necessarily a huge thing. Um, and I think that when we look at the two sides of that debate around our cycle, the one side tends to go tends to go too they both go too far at the fringes right so it's like way yeah, too far I down the road I, I definitely say I sit in the middle yeah 
for sure. Like if you're planning your entire life around your menstrual cycle, I mean, maybe, you know, (laughs) if that's, if that's, if you feel, you know, if you feel good and healthier that way, then sure. But that feels extreme to me, you know, but on the other side to just continue to ignore and say that that's not affecting, um, that our menstrual cycle isn't affecting our performance and in um, our exercise performance at all also seems like too far, right? Individuality is key. That's what the the take home is there. Um, the only the only thing that I would definitely want to finish on is a lot of people think, oh my god, I just need to eat endless amounts of protein then, and that is not the answer because more protein actually isn't better like as in the really large amount so I think some some strength train like trained athletes are consuming like two to three grams per kilogram of their body weight which is way more than what all the numbers I mentioned before like two is like the highest of all the strength training you know but as far as I'm aware there is little or even possibly even no evidence that these high daily intakes actually result in further muscle mass and strength gains like it's not right. doing but it almost plateaus your body can only do so much processing of protein as i said it takes more energy for us to process protein mm-hmm. so it's right. like find, find the optimal dose and just prioritize your protein at meals but it doesn't mean you need to be having like three protein shakes a day with eggs and chicken and everything you can imagine under the sun <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and there might be like you said there may be a downside to having too much because of the way that we metabolize protein is that right well it might make you feel quite bloated um but it just <laughs> It just takes quite a bit longer to to digest. So there's just no, there's no real reason for us to go that far. Like your body is going to plateau and want, so at that optimal rate, that's that's where you need to be. And I, I will send you these notes as well and any numbers so that you can add it to the description so that people can do the conversion to pounds. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Send us the yeah. notes, we'll add it to the show notes. That'd be amazing. Exactly. Sorry, British here. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool we're Canadian I'm Canadian so you know I kind of mix all kinds of things together I know what kilograms are and what pounds are <laughs> um, well, if any people use like stone and pounds in the UK but I think because I've come from a sports science background mm-hmm. and academic everything's in kilograms or most of the research seems to be in kilograms that's but so that's how I work because of that yeah for sure um Emily so great to talk to you where can we find you I know you have a couple of um Instagram pages how can we follow you and learn more from you so I have two pages uh Emily Jevons nutrition is my nutrition page uh obvious one by the title and and then I also have a more athlete focused page for, for myself which is emilyj.try on Instagram again and you can probably write them down in the in the show notes if people are interested on following me or feel free to drop me a message if anyone has any more questions but hopefully you'll take away from this like I have even though I'm a scientist by trade and know all the numbers I definitely focus on a a holistic view on how we can actually change our diet day to day and make it doable and actually manageable Well, that is how I have felt about all the information that I personally got from this conversation. And I think our audience will feel the same. So thank you. No problem. And it's been lovely to chat to you. It's lovely to chat to you too. 